Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. I, I would have loved to have had like a pre-video collective blood pressure rate and then a post-video collective blood pressure. Because my guess is that anxiety levels kind of rose, stress levels rose, uh, because maybe that looked a little bit like your life. We're in the front end of a series we're calling Making Room for Christmas. And uh, the reality is, is that we live in a culture that is dominated by words like overnight and fast and now. And, uh, and that has influenced us. That has actually sucked us into the current of that. Some of you may already be saying, no, that's not true of me. So let's just kind of do a little bit of a, a checkup, so to speak. I mean, you go to the doctor, you have physical checkups. You see the eye doctor, you go to your dentist. Let's just make sure that, we, uh, that we're not letting ourselves off too quickly by asking a few questions just to find out how much of a hurry we are in these days and how much of this has actually been normalized. Question number one, when you drive up to a red light and there's a couple lanes and one lane has three cars in it and the other, the other lane has one car in it, do you get in the lane that has one car? Yeah. yeah, I mean, who wouldn't, right? I mean, that's just like, that's just normal. That's just what normal people do in our culture, yes. Uh, when you get in line at the grocery store, do you measure your progress against the person in the other line in which you didn't get? Like I was looking, there's five lanes I could choose. I'm, I'm going to choose this one. You, oh man! Or maybe when you get in the line at the grocery store, you you you, you beat the the line you made a mark on. Like I was I was going to stand there, and you get out and you feel like I won, I won, I won. Or maybe you don't do this. You probably don't do this, but Trina and I do this. When we're shopping together, we'll get our stuff, and actually she'll get in one line, I'll get in another line. And then we'll look at each other, and whichever lane is moving quickest, then, I mean, if her lane is quicker, I'll just kind of kindly excuse myself, and I'll get in her lane. Anyone ever done that? Yes. No, that's not cheating. That's just life. Uh, do you ever drive in the fast lane on the freeway and get behind someone who is doing the speed limit and get irritated? Yeah, I mean, because that's the fast lane. That's the lane you're supposed to speed in that all the cops have their eyes on, right? We, we, we've kind of been kind of brought in, if you said yes to any of those, those questions, you're, you're probably found yourself in a, in a hurried pace of life. And, um, and as we begin the front end of Advent season and we talk about making room for Christmas, one of the things that we have to understand is that while we do live in a culture that values words like fast and overnight and now, that we have a God who is not in a hurry. He's just not in a hurry. And when it comes to Christmas, I mean, kids, you know, they can't wait for Christmas to come, and they're counting down days. Maybe you're counting down days with your advent calendar, or maybe your paper chain where you're taking off a link per day, um, and just kind of ex the expectation is rising, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we see with God is that even when it comes to a major event like Christ coming to earth, heaven invading earth, he wasn't in a hurry. And we see this from the very beginning of scripture, Genesis chapter three, God is talking to Satan who has deceived Eve and Adam. Um, and we get a reference 
to Christmas and the cross. I will make you and the woman hostile toward each other. The woman is Eve. I will make your descendants and her descendants hostile toward each other. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. The he is a reference to a coming Messiah who we do know because we live on this side of the cross, who we do know was born in a manger and then went to the cross and crushed the serpent's head and, and people have been set free by that. But this, this prophecy about Christmas happens 4,000 years before the birth of Christ. 4,000 years of people waiting for a serpent's head to be crushed. Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. Another prophecy about Christmas Day, this Messiah who will come from the tribe of Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. 1,900 years before that prophecy was realized in Jesus Christ. 1,900 years of waiting for a Messiah to come. Another prophecy, some of you may know this prophecy. It's, it's one that's a little more familiar. Isaiah chapter seven uh, says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. 700 years before that virgin, Mary, will be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and 700 years before, before angels will appear in the skies over a field where shepherds are watching their sheep and, uh, and, and they'll rush to see this, this baby. 700, they're living in exile. They want to deliver. God, when are you gonna rescue us? And God is not in a hurry to send his son. Uh, Micah chapter five, verse two says, oh, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus, 650 years before that event actually takes place and the people are waiting. The Old Testament ends, and you may be familiar with this gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's called the 400 silent years. God doesn't say anything. For 400 years, he's, that, he's moving at that kind of pace. But then, but then the New Testament cracks open and a savior is born. The, the angels do sing, the shepherds do run to the manger. The wise men are making their trek to, to, to honor Jesus. And he's born in it, heaven's invading earth and now the Messiah is born and he does nothing for 30 years. The, the event happens in and people are still longing. They're, they're under the oppression of Romans and they're still under the oppression of sin and they're wondering, how long, O Lord? In fact, some are in the temple and they're crying out, how long, O Lord, how long until you deliver us? And there, meandering through the crowds in the temple is the very one who will set the people free. Yet, he's not doing anything for, th for three decades. Our God is not in a hurry. He's not in a hurry, yet, yet we live in a culture that's dominated by speed and, and by efficiency and productivity. And I don't know if you've had I mean, 4,000 years waiting for a son to be born in Bethlehem. I mean, 1,900 years, 700, 650 years, 400 silent years, three decades of doing nothing. I mean, why isn't God in a, why doesn't he work a little faster? Why isn't he, a, why doesn't he hurry up? And the reason is very simple, 
and it's simply this, is because hurry is a form of violence to the soul. There's actually a piece of us that pays the price when we are in a hurry. Now this happens in very practical ways. The scriptures speak to it. The book of Proverbs is full of very practical wisdom. Proverbs 19 verse two says, enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Hurry makes mistakes. I think we can relate to that. Proverbs 21 verse five, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hurried shortcuts lead to poverty. And then there's this verse 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, which we really don't like. I don't like it. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. I don't like that. I, 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 want, I want God to move quick. I want him to be fast. I got things I'm waiting for. I, I need. Why, is, why does God take so long? It's because hurry is a form of violence to the soul. And that's just not something Scripture speaks to. Actually, this is something that our world is beginning to recognize. Medical perfection, uh, professionals are seeing this, and they, they discovered uh, a lot of years ago in San Francisco, there was a doctor's office, and they noticed something pretty odd with their couches and their upholstered chairs. Their couches and upholstered chairs were wearing out, but they were wearing out in odd places. The front of the couch was wearing out. The front of the upholstered armrests were wearing out. That was strange. They replaced the couches and the upholstered chairs, brought new ones in. And in 12 months, the chairs and the, the couches were worn out in the same places. So they began to watch to see what was happening over the next year as they replaced the couches and chairs again. And what they noticed was that patients were coming as doctors were running late with their appointments. Patients were sitting at the front of the couch rubbing armrests and stressed out and anxious about getting in to see the doctor and sitting on the front of the couches and wearing it out. In fact, doctors began to study these patients and discovered all kinds of things happening in their lives and labeled a new disease. They called it Hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. This is how they defined it. Uh, hurry sickness arises from an insatiable desire to accomplish too much or take part in too many events in the amount of time available. I know that you can't relate to this, but stick with me, okay? The hurry sick person is unable to acknowledge that they can do only a finite number of things. As a consequence, they never cease trying to stuff more and more events into their constantly shrinking reserves of time. And then what they've said is, we've noticed that there are some results of this hurry sickness. They've made a list. I've checked it twice. Here's what they say. Hurry sickness leads to health issues like insomnia, depression, immune system depletion, and heart problems. Our physical bodies are taking a toll because we're so busy, so much in a hurry. Uh, they also said our inability to slow down is leading to superficiality in relationships. Meaning, we've got so many friends, we've got so much stuff going on, we wanna give time to our friends, so we give some to this person, some to that person, and we never really are fully known, nor are they fully known by us. Superficial relationships a result of hurry sickness. Third thing they said is actually being in a hurry leads to forgetting your purpose. Years ago in London, uh, this, this story broke because there was, there was these bus stops in London and people were queued up in line at their bus stop. They're, they're lined up waiting for the bus. The bus would come 
And we see, the, see the, the people, see the stop, and drive right by that bus stop and go to the next bus stop. And this just wasn't a once-in-a-while kind of event that was taking place there in London. It was happening citywide. So much so that people were writing the London Transit Authority and complaining and saying, your buses are driving right past bus stops, and there's people there, and they're not paying attention to us. We're waving, and they're not stopping. This is the actual response from the London Transit Authority. It is impossible for our bus drivers to keep their schedule if they have to stop and pick up passengers. I thought that's what you did, was pick up passengers and take them to where they're supposed to go. Oh no, see, see the watch, the clock has become more important than actually why you, were, why you exist. See, friends, that's, that's happening to us. There's a loss of meaning in our day. Or people are wondering, what's the point? Why am I here? And they're hurrying from one place to another, trying to find that answer, but in the, purpose, in the, meaning, in the, in the schedule of the rush of it, they're, they're losing their purpose. Another thing they've said, last thing it says, it's diminished our ability to love people. Princeton Theological Seminary tested this, this whole concept of hurry sickness. They had a preaching class and they decided to collaborate with the, the, some, some, me, some, medical, uh, some medical professionals and they assigned a preaching topic to their students. It was this story of the Good Samaritan. If you don't know the good story of the Good Samaritan, uh, there's a man going on a road. He gets mugged. He gets beat up. He's lying on the road. A priest, a pastor, sees him, walks right on by. A Levite sees him, walks right on. He's a, a, a temple worker, a church worker, walks right on by. A Samaritan comes. He's sort of the, the, the low rung of a status of society. He sees the guy, helps him out, pays his bills, takes care of him. The, the, the job of the, the preachers in Princeton Theological Seminary is to take that text and preach it in chapel. The professors have assigned a time to say, come to class at 9.30, you're going to speak in chapel at 10, and, uh, and we'll, we'll kind of walk, walk through some stuff and make sure you're ready. The students came at 9.30, and what they don't know is this experiment is going on, and the professor tells them, I told you the wrong time. Chapel doesn't start at 10. Actually, it starts at 9.30. You need to get over there and preach quickly. You need to get to preach this. You need to get over and preach the story of the Good Samaritan. The student rushes out of the classroom, and unbeknownst to them, an actor has been hired, and they're laying, looking like they got beat up in the pathway to the chapel. After the chapel... Each student was, was interviewed, and what they discovered is 90% of the students who are going to preach on the Good Samaritan never saw the man lying in the pathway. 3% of the students stepped over the body <laughs> to go preach on the Good Samaritan. Friend, hurry sickness, it's taking a physical toll on us. Our relationships are superficial, we're forgetting our purpose and why we exist, and it's diminishing our ability to love one another. And I would even say a, a, a fifth thing is simply this, is that we are less apt to wait when, or less capable of waiting when we're not getting what we hope to get. We're less capable of being able to wait, and can we just say this? Life is full of waiting. Some of you are in this room and you've been waiting for a spouse. Some of you in this room, 
are married and you've been waiting to be able to have a child. Others of you in this room are waiting for that job to come so that you can afford to pay your bills and and kind of make a better life for yourself. Some of you are waiting for justice. You've experienced injustice and you're waiting for your cause to be taken up. Some of you are waiting for a prodigal to come home. Some of you are waiting for someone you love very much to give their life to Christ. Some of you are waiting for this sermon to be done. <laughs> Life is full of waiting. All can be significant waiting, maybe, you know, just minor waiting. And our hurried lives make us less able to actually wait and be patient. We're running around hurried lives and it's destroying us. And our God is a God who is not in a hurry. And hurry is a form of violence to our souls. And what we need to do is recalibrate our lives. We, we live in a culture dominated by words like now and fast and overnight and efficient and you know this two-hour delivery and then that, that, that speed. And how do we recalibrate our lives and become more like our God? and make room for Christmas. A couple practical ways I would toss your way, and the first one is this. We need to slow down voluntarily. I'll, I'll just give you some, some practical ways to do that here in a second, but let me just say this. I think as people living in the West, because we live in such busy societies, such productive societies, such hurried societies, I think that's why we're drawn to passages like Psalm 23 where we hear, the Lord is my shepherd and he'll lead me by still waters, he'll restore my soul. I think we're drawn to those because we're attracted to rest. We're drawn to passages like Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. The yoke is a work instrument. Usually two donkeys or two oxen would be put under the, the yoke and they'd plow fields. Come work with me and find rest for your souls. Well, that's, that's weird. It's not heavy. It's light. Eugene Peterson in his uh, paraphrase of that passage says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What a great life that would be. Come to Jesus and this is the life you'll experience, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? Because we've come to Jesus, haven't we? We're Christ followers. Most of us in this room would describe ourselves as Christ followers. And yet we ask the question, are you tired? Yeah, I'm tired. Are you weary? Uh, yeah, I'm weary. Are you burned out on religion, on do's and don'ts? Yeah, I'm burned out on that. Why is that? That we have taken the yoke and we're tired and we're weary and we're, we're burned out. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because we have received the life of Jesus and we have received salvation and that, that's great. And we have received the words of Jesus. We're coming under the scriptures, aligning our life with him. But you know what we haven't received and embraced? The lifestyle of Jesus. We've taken the salvation. We've been given this gift of grace and that's wonderful and we're, we're, we, we treasure the word. But we haven't embraced the yoke. We haven't embraced the lifestyle of Christ. It doesn't mean that Jesus was never 
busy. No, he was. He healed Peter's mother-in-law and then was up all night healing people in Capernaum. He, he was pressed in by the crowds. He fed 5,000. He had seasons of busyness, but what you'll read about Jesus is that often he would withdraw to lonely places. He'd rest. Jesus had this pace of seasons of, yes, busyness and touching people's lives, but also seasons of withdrawing and renewing his own soul. So we need to slow down voluntarily. Here's what that could look like. That could look like pulling up to a red light and seeing two lanes and one's got three cars and one's got one car. And this tension rises in your spirit. You're like, I hate that sermon. <laughs> and you pull into the lane between, with the three cars. Why? To tell God, God, I'm purposely and deliberately slowing down so I can be more like you. It's choosing the long lane in a grocery store. It's choosing not to clutter your calendar to provide some margin Choosing to get up a little bit early and just sit with Jesus, not read anything, but just be with him, listen. It's perhaps choosing what your kids are in three sports is cutting them back to two sports so you're not going back and forth and back and forth. My guess is that God's already been speaking to you and giving you some, some pretty clear examples of how you could slow down. And as we do, what we are choosing to do is deliberately saying, God, you are an unhurried God. Hurry is a form of violence to the soul, so I myself am going to slow down. Second thing I'd say is a little bit more abstract than that, than that one. That one's a little more concrete. But here's, here's the second one I'd say is see the big picture. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Some of you have this frame just hanging on your walls in your homes. It says, those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength, they will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. It's a very poetic uh, couple of verses in Scripture that talk about how we renew our strength in waiting, which is counterintuitive. And it goes the wrong direction. I don't know if you notice this. The direction we're used to going is we run, and we walk, we run, and we fly. <laughs> this is saying, no, your strength is renewed when you fly and you run. And you walk. What's, what's going on here? Uh, my friend Sundar Christian kind of, I'll explain this, but he says, those who see the big picture have a unique perspective that sustains them in the running and motivates them in the daily mundane routines of life where we question movement. Here's what Sundar is saying. The mounting up with wings as eagles is gaining altitude so that you can have a new perspective, a fresh perspective. It's God gifting you with, it, with an eternal perspective so you can say, okay, so... God, show me why this is, why, what, so why can't I find this? Why can't I find a job? Why can't I get, that, get a house, a place to live? Why, what, what's going on in its altitude for a fresh perspective that actually will sustain you in the running and actually, even more, it will help you not faint when you're walking and walking is the daily grind. It's the mundane routines of life where you're in the valleys and you are questioning yourself as you're asking yourself the question, am I making a difference? Am I growing? And it's in the fresh, big picture, the larger perspective, that actually we can engage in the mundane daily grind where maybe some are questioning, is there any movement? And know that, yes, God is at work, even though it's taking a long time. So we need to see the big picture. And can I just encourage you that, you know, you may struggle seeing the big picture, but just knowing that there's a big picture 
will help that happen as well while you wait. And life is full of waiting. So we need to see the big picture. Our God, we're on the front end of Advent season. Front end of Advent season, we need to make room for Christmas. And one of the very first things we have to understand is yes, we live in a culture dominated by words like fast and quick and overnight. But our God is an unhurried God and we are called to be like him. So we need to deliberately slow down. We need to see the big picture. Now imagine this. In the, in the, in the hecticness of, of the holidays and Christmas and franticness of purchases and moving from here and seeing people there and parties at work and parties in the neighborhood and all that stuff. What would it, what would it look like if there, amongst that there were people who were actually at rest and at peace because they have deliberately slowed down? What kind of impact could that have on those we work with, live with, our neighbors with, friends with? I think what it will do is, much like some of those scriptures cause us to lean in, people will lean into their relationship with you and they'll want to know why. Why are you so at rest when the world is spinning and moving at record pace? How are you able to walk with such rest and peace in a hurried culture? It's because you've made room for Christmas. Now, let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and just respond to that. You could respond simply by just asking God a question. Jesus, what are you saying to me about who you are? Could be that he's saying, I, I, I'm not in a hurry, but maybe, maybe something else. Jesus, some, some of us right now in the silence are, this is awkward. We're not used to being still. What are you saying to us about that? So Lord, We choose to keep the big picture in mind and know that despite whatever the headlines are saying, that you are a God who is never out of control. You're sovereign. And by your spirit, I pray that you would empower us to live lives that reflect your life. But Lord, we could know that there's seasons of hurry and not Embrace the false guilt because of that, but we could deliberately slow down and experience you, our Emmanuel. May that be our reality this Christmas. I pray this in your name. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.